0: hello and welcome to the recovering from religion podcast our mission here is to offer hope healing and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief what follows is the audio from selected videos posted on recovering from religion's youtube channel so sit back relax and enjoy dr dale ray is the founder and president of recovering from religion He's been a psychologist for over 30 years. You know, Todd, that's almost longer than I've been alive. Uh, And he is the author of four books, including The God Virus, How Religion Infects Our Lives and Culture, and also a book called Sex and God, How Religion Distorts Sexuality. Dr. Ray has been a student of religion for most of his life, and he holds a uh, master's degree in religion. As well as a bachelor's degree in sociology and anthropology with a doctorate in psychology so i kind of think he knows what he is talking about
1: maybe just a little bit welcome (laughs) back dr Darrell ray it's so good to have you again tonight we want to talk about what psychology can tell us about our own mental functioning in times of crisis but before we get into that i would want to to know if you could give us a, a brief description and breakdown of what psychology is and, what is help and why is it, is it helpful for us to understand it?
2: Well, thanks guys. Uh, first of all, I wanna say we've got a bunch of volunteers in our audience. I just wanna say thank you for all you're doing for all the clients, our chat line leaders, our um, phone people, our board members. I see a whole bunch of people from our different parts of our farm, anyway just want to say a big heartfelt thank you for all you're doing. We've got some new people on here as well that are, are actually just joining us and hopefully they'll become uh, important parts of what we're doing so as well. So everybody hear me. Okay, uh, Eric, Todd. Yeah, You're sounding really great. Okay, good. Well, first of all, I, I've been a psychologist. It actually, if I count it, it's more than 30 years, but we're not going to count. So, and what I found is the more I understand about how humans behave and about the psychology of our brains and why our brains work the way they do, uh, the easier it is to live a productive and, and happy life because uh, I feel like I'm, I, I, my goal is to help all of our listeners here today gain some sense of control in an environment that seems out of control and, and is in fact out of control in some ways. So I, I think that's the importance of what psychology has to offer us here today, Todd, is, is a sense of let's be aware of how we are, actually function as psychological beings, as, as animals within this planet. I mean, we're, we are animals and we respond like animals. I'm gonna talk about that a bit today because animal research actually informs some of, of uh, how we respond to our environment that
0: um, that's sufficient for you Todd
2: yes
1: thanks for sharing that
0: hey um, uh, you know I forgot to mention also um, uh, all you wonderful folks (laughs) wonderful, all you wonderful (laughs) folks there who are uh, tuning in if you happen to have a question for dr. Ray um, or about the discussion if you have a question feel free to type it into the chat I will get them pulled out and uh, we will ask him during the Q and A part. Uh, In addition to that, um, towards the, at at the end, we're going to have a social hangout for about 30 minutes, 20, 30 minutes, where all of you guys will be unmuted. We're all going to be able to get to say hi to one another and hang out and uh, uh, just like you might do with uh, your regular family. So, um, uh, feel free to answer some or ask some questions and we'll get them answered for you. All right. Where are we, where were we? We got the uh, definition of psychology down. What's next?
2: Well, I want I'll just jump in here if uh, unless you had something to say there, Todd.
1: Nope. go ahead.
2: Okay, okay. So, sure. I want to frame this uh, briefly for everyone listening tonight, and that is I feel uh, an old an old saying my grandmother used to tell me was forewarned is forearmed. Forewarned is forearmed. I want to forewarn you tonight so that you are forearmed about some things that we are pro- we are already seeing in this covid-19 virus ep- uh, pandemic and you can mentally prepare in in ways that and you may actually be able to prepare people you love as well so that's that's the framework for where i'm going to be uh, working tonight and uh, eric and todd and i are going to kind of go back and forth a little bit occasionally. And Todd's got some interesting stories that I think fit right into where I I wanna go tonight. There are viruses out there. There are literally probably millions, maybe even billions of biological viruses out there. And they all want to get, they wanna have a place to live and propagate and move on to the next victim, if you will that virus could be covid 19 or it could be smallpox or it could be measles so there, we know we see all these viruses out there <laughs> excuse me <clears throat> but there's another kind of virus out there and if you read my book the god virus you'll know that i there are mind viruses out there and there are thousands even millions of mind viruses that want to get into our brains and those mind viruses cannot live cannot propagate cannot move on to to live if you will unless they have a brain to to get into they're like a parasite a parasite needs to get into our bodies a virus needs to get into our bodies in order to move on to the next body well mind viruses do the same thing and there are parasitic mind viruses most mind viruses are parasitic by the way however i i'm i don't want to oversimplify this but i think the metaphor helps us understand why uh what i'm going to talk about is important tonight i want us to practice good mental hygiene we wash our hands we take showers we make sure we you know we uh, use good social distancing but you know i saw something the other day it says uh, this person said i practice social distancing around religious people uh i i am practicing social distancing around religious people who went to church this sunday and oh by the way it's probably a good idea to do that all the time uh, that's interesting <laughs> have you ever noticed that religious people oftentimes use the terms of infection and and disease and filth around people who do not think by uh, of like themselves yeah they talk mm. They talk about gay people or LGBT people or, uh, you know, people who are of other religions, like they were, and they use terms that are literally, they're filthy, they're diseased. You don't want to get infected with, you know, the Jehovah's Witness or whatever,
0: yeah. you you actually hear. And, I, and I'm just, for maybe show show it. Remember him. this back in the eighties, it's nothing new. They've been doing this for, centuries i remember back in the 80s when the um aids crisis was happening and the church was uh, just railing against um homosexuals and blaming them for uh um and their lifestyle for the outbreak when yeah at all
2: what was so what what this tells us is even the religious understand this concept of a mind virus but what I'm here to tell you is that there are lots of viruses out there and they all want to get into us, biological. There are lots of mind viruses and they all want to get into us. And, they're, they, and they want to get into us so they can get into the next person. There's a certain time and place in which it's easy or easier to get infected with mind viruses. And that's what I want to talk about today. Oh, okay. We, we all know that, you know, when you get kind of, down, uh, you're not using proper nutrition, you might exercise as much, You're, you know, those kind of things, you are more likely to get, or if your immune system is compromised in some way, you're more likely to get infected with a biological virus or a, or a biological germ of some kind. Well, we're the same way in our mental, in our mental state. Most of us are in a fairly normal, stable mental state most of the time. But if our immune system, I call it our mental immune system or our psychological immune system is compromised in some way. Mm -hmm. For example, if we get under a lot of stress, I mean, I bet most of you would agree with me that when you're under a lot of stress, you don't make your best decisions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't don't at all think uh, when I'm under a lot of stress, I don't necessarily think rationally.
2: Right and you can make some really bad decisions when you're under stress. Yes. And that That is the best time to infect you with a new parasitic, mm. if you will, mind virus. And that's why it's important for us to think about what what kind of a time are we living in now? How much stress is there in our environment, how much chaos, and how, why are all of a sudden we seeing ministers having church on Sunday even after they were told not to mm. by the mm. governmental officials? And and a religious officials saying we're trying to take their religious rights away from them When in fact, all we're trying to do is keep them safe What is going on there? And that's that's what we're going to be talking about tonight
1: Well, this will be really interesting I'm already got some thoughts going in my head that I can see already how what well, you just said in the short time how It's affected my life um, no, no. But yeah
2: so we're gonna be talking about mental hygiene, and that is understanding what, what kind of things might try to attack us. You turn the TV on, you will see basically two kinds of mind viruses. And they come out, there's like an epidemic of mind viruses right now, because biological viruses and mind viruses oftentimes work together. I know it sounds weird. It sounds really strange. Do you want the full version? And and yes, I am pumping my book, the God virus, because that's what we're talking about here today is how do viruses get in our heads and then change our behavior. Let me give you a great example. If you get infected enough with a Catholic mind virus, you become celibate. You don't get married. You don't have children. That is pretty crazy behavior. When, when people say, you know, that, that you know, we just wanna, we're, we're the more abnormal people as atheists because we don't wanna follow all the norms around sexuality that the Catholics push on us. I'll turn right around and say, well, I can't think of anything more abnormal or perverted than being celibate for your whole life. Well, why is it important for a priest to stay celibate? Largely because priests are very expensive to develop and they're the primary way that you infect new people with the Catholic mind virus. That's why we're seeing at this point in time, so many so many churches defying secular orders because how do you perpetuate their Baptist mind virus or Pentecostal mind virus or whatever the virus is they're trying to push if you don't have group meetings? And when they come together, they not only give each other the COVID-19 virus, they're reinforcing the Pentecostal virus, or the Baptist, or the Catholic, or you know whatever virus it was. <clears throat> I mean, it Italy, Italy had to get the police out to stop priests from going and visiting the sick. You know, that's like the worst thing you could do is go visit somebody sick and then go to somebody else's house. You're gonna just like systematically. How ha- it's like the best way to systematically infect an entire culture with a biological virus and it's done in the name of a mind virus. You see how these two things work together? Yeah. There, it's, it's actually a brilliant strategy, if you, if you think about it from a religious point of view. When when the conquistadors went into South America and Central America, they brought their priests with them. <laughs> and if you didn't die from smallpox, you, you would be killed by the soldiers, If and then if you, If you survive that they would say, well, God saved you. So you better convert or we'll kill you anyway. So again, it's the smallpox. And we saw this throughout North America with uh, North American uh, Native Americans. Right. Throughout history, we see the way viruses work with mind viruses to infect people. And we want to stay away from that. We want to practice social distancing around some of these crazy ideas.
0: Now, why, yeah, why, would, why would someone um, want to, like, let's say I'm, I'm an uh, uh, individual who goes to church every Sunday, why would someone want to put themselves at risk um, in order to, like, is that kind of how the virus works? If if I were to show up uh, to church on Sunday uh, amidst this, this uh, viral outbreak, this um, pandemic, why would I put myself at risk like that? because
2: you've been taught since you were a small child, and that's the important component. We've talked about this earlier. Small child, that the most important thing in your whole life is your afterlife, and that you're not you're not gonna go to heaven or you're gonna go burn in hell forever if you don't perform your duties in this life. Well, one of the key duties is to follow whatever the minister or the priest or the pope or the imam or the Buddhist monk tells you to do. You're not gonna get to the next life or you're not gonna get where you wanna go in the next life without that. So if you truly believe, and as you know, if you've, many of you come through our um, chat line, you've you've seen so many people talk about fear of hell. Well, if you are scared shitless of hell and you know you better go to church or you're going to hell, that'll get you to church. You would Mm -hmm. rather die of the virus than die in hell. That's that's a pretty strong, it's very strong. And and I want to talk about how that comes you look around yourself, and in psychology, we have something called we have an idea called social signaling. When you we're in a group, we are very attentive as human beings, most of us, not all of us, but most of us are very attentive to our social environment. And when we see, for example, let's just say we're all Let's say there's 30 of us in a group, and somebody suddenly looks up and points their finger somewhere. What will you do? Oh, we are gonna look. Yeah. Every, every person in that room. <laughs> look at Todd. <laughs> every person in that room will will change and look. That's social signaling. One person is signaling the entire rest of the group. We see this in monkey troops. Getting uh, in uh, in chimpanzee troops. All, almost all primates have social signaling. It's a great way to stay safe because if I do this and there's a tiger ready to eat somebody in the group, it means we can defend ourselves. Okay. So it goes way, way deep into our psyche. But if the if their social signaling is we need to stay safe and the preacher says staying safe is in our group, in our tribe, because the tribe is where safety comes from mm-hmm. in, our, in our deep genetic history then we're gonna follow what the priest says, and we're gonna watch for the social signals. And the social signals can be extremely powerful, especially the social signals that you get if you don't follow the priest, if you don't follow the group, and you're you're cast out. I mean, uh, Shanna, Shanna Rubio is on our board, she's here tonight, ex-Jehovah's Witness, ex-Jehovah's Witness, and she can tell you how, how strong the negative social signaling is among Jehovah's Witnesses. So I'm guessing if the Jehovah's Witness says you go anyway, Mm -hmm. you do it. And we already see the social signaling is really strong around things like uh, blood transfusion among Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, the reason I'm speaking about social signaling right now is because all of us are in a culture, in a social environment, and that environment is socially signaling to us. And I love, you didn't even know you are giving me a great example, Eric, but earlier you gave me a great example. Last week you went to the store and nobody was wearing a ma- damn mask. This week you go to the store and the majority of the people are wearing yeah. masks. Yeah. That is a social signal. Now in this case, it's a very positive social signal. What you, you see is evidence that there's a positive secular social signal being picked up and followed by by the other people in the, in your society.
0: Um, yeah, it was I'm, interesting. Is I uh, for a moment I felt like I was in a completely different culture. Really? I almost felt like uh, walking through this supermarket would be very similar to what I might experience if I was walking through a supermarket in a culture that has face masks uh, as a norm, like in China or something like that. And here's a
1: funny here's a funny thing is. A week ago, Eric, when you went, you were like the only one wearing a mask. Yeah. Today you went and everyone is I bet you the people that weren't wearing the mask today were feeling like they were out of place. Because they were the, the minority probably.
0: Yeah. And and another thing is too, obviously I'm a trendsetter, so oh, that's true. We yeah. we we saw pictures. <laughs> Yeah, well,
2: we're not going to say what other kind of trends Eric has, has, has said in his distant past, though. <laughs> <laughs> just for
1: everyone to know, Eric shared a Easter picture of him when he was like seven or eight years old and his outfit was to die for.
0: <laughs> no, this so, is being recorded and it'll be, it'll be there forever now. Thank you, Todd. Oh, yeah, yeah. After we're
2: we're finished with this part of the talk, uh, before the Q&A, maybe we can get Eric to show us
1: his (laughs) (laughs) work. Was that, go ahead.
2: Okay. Now I want to talk about how our brains are working. I I, I could talk about just social signaling. I could talk about it all night. And we've got a ton to go over tonight, so I want to keep moving forward on some of the key things. (laughs) I, I want to introduce you to two two pieces in your brain, one is called the amygdala and the other is the hippocampus. You don't have to remember these uh, and I'm going to absolutely oversimplify this. So I know we've got a couple, Ed Ed is in our audience, psychologists, so forgive me if I way, way oversimplify it. But I'm gonna do that in the interest of just trying to help us understand what's going on in our brain. Right now, we have got a lot of things around us that are signaling to us, both socially and psychologically, emotionally, and physically, that there's potential danger around us. And that comes straight into the amygdala of our brain. The amygdala is uh, highly involved in fear assessment. Mm -hmm. It's also involved in good things like positive assessments, but we, 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 the first place we process fear seems to be in the amygdala. And what we've got is a culture that's constantly trying to make us afraid. And why is that? Because if we're afraid, we're more easily infected with new ideas. Fox News has created an entire methodology around people keeping people's amygdala fired up. I mean, literally, if you put them on a machine and look, you probably see a bright red glow inside of some of these people's heads. Um, yeah. Again, I exaggerate, of course. But
0: <laughs> now it, it so, seems like, um, from what I'm hearing, this this virus, the, the this mental virus you're talking about, also seems to um, disable the critical thinking part of our brain too.
2: It absolutely does. I mean, just like we said, real early on, when you're under a lot of stress, you don't make your best decisions or your best choices. And and what happens when we're constantly keep we're constantly being stimulated and in a direction of fearfulness. Some people, well, I'm talking about this a little bit later, some people are more susceptible to fear messages than other people are. <clears throat> and some people, are. Re- it's really hard to stimulate them there. Other people, it's really easy to stimulate them there. Probably 20 to 30% of the population are pretty easily influenced by fear messages. I mean, it's, it's like anything else. You've got a normal distribution, within a population. And that's kind of what we see here. So somebody, somebody who wants you to do what they want you to do, but are best able to do that by going through the fear channel. And I'm going to come back and talk about that in detail. Yeah. But if I can, if I can get to your brain through the fear channel, I can then infect you with new ideas and get you to vote the way I want you to vote. Mm-hmm. Or I can get you to give money to the place I want you to give money or go out and knock on doors. I mean, there's a lot of things I can get you to do if you are afraid. And that's why fear of hell is such an effective tool because it really fires up the amygdala. And then it creates in in another part of our brain, the hippocampus, a map. We create maps in our head. And when I mean a map, I mean a literal map because you can get in your car and drive all all over your local area without a map because you've got one in your head. You also have social maps. When you walk into a room, we oftentimes look around and assess who is in that room and we create a social map of, you know, who's the who's clearly the dominant person in the room? Who's the most attractive opposite sex person in the room? There's, there's all these things that come in and we create a very quick map of our social environment, we're really good at that as human
0: beings. Yeah, oh, that's a great—that's a great way to look at it because that's I exactly I do that exact thing, same thing. People are putting out social cues, and I'm starting to map that as this person does this, this person does that. I had never thought of it as as akin to um, a roadmap map or something like that.
2: It is, and when you walk into a church, you will quickly assess who's the alpha male in that church, and it's almost always the minister, or maybe one of the elders. If you walk into a political uh, rally or something or political, you'll look around, you'll find out who's the alpha person in that room is generally, of course, the candidate doesn't always have to be that way. But, but, so we're creating these social maps within churches, within political environments, within our neighborhood. I mean, you know who the person in your neighborhood that's leading the neighborhood watch, if you will, or, mm-hmm. or the one that always puts on the best parties in your neighborhood those become a part of the landscape of your social map and it's important for us to recognize that other people are are putting maps into our heads if you're a jehovah's witness or a mormon somebody from a very early time in your life probably put a map in your head and that map says you have to wear magic underwear for example now i when i use the term map i mean map in the sense of your view of the world doesn't mean it's reality based doesn't mean it's got anything to do with reality i mean wearing magic underwear probably isn't reality based uh or not getting not getting a blood transfusion could be deadly but those are part of the map of the mormons or the part of the map of the Jehovah's witnesses and every religion creates a map of reality that you put in your head and then when you go to church when you go to bible study when you go to any kind of religious organization. That map is reinforced because everybody shares that map around you. And we. a lot of people I know, I see them talking about, it. I was in the Catholic bubble or I was in the Catholic or uh, the Baptist bubble. You all have heard that people use the word bubble, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I use it I all t- the time. Yeah, yeah. And I don't say anything wrong with that terminology, but I tend to call it, I tend to look at it more as a map. You have a Catholic map you have a Baptist map. And those maps do not map to reality. Think about it. If I had a map of my home state, Kansas, from 1900, and I tried to get in my car and drive somewhere using just that map, I'd probably go into a river somewhere real quick. Because that map, it does not map to the current reality. Catholics, Baptists, buddhists you know you name it communist ca- even capitalist, it doesn't matter whatever ideology you subscribe to creates a map that you put into your head some of those maps map to reality better than other maps do and the bad maps really cause you trouble bad maps cause breakdowns in relationships cause anxiety cause mental illness because if you're constantly banging your head against Reality, because your map in your head does not map to what reality is, is going. You're going to be a problem. I don't know how many people have told me when they came into recovery from religion that they finally realized that Noah didn't really exist. There was not. There was really not a flood. There was no ark. And that is, so,
0: yeah. That <laughs> is exactly what happened with me. At, at 16, I read a book by Isaac Asimov. The um, Encyclopedia of Science and Discovery, and it covered everything from the discovery of fire all the way up to the mid 80s, the, um, the, the, where yeah. they um, finished up Fermat's Last Theorem or whatever, and I could not, no longer square reality presented in this book with the map I was given with uh, religion, and I gave it up because they just didn't mesh any longer.
2: Right, and, and now I would guess you would say you have, no one has a perfect map of reality. Let's just no. be, no. nobody does. I don't. But I'm, I'm guessing you have a more accurate map of the reality you live in now than you had before. You no yeah. longer believe there was a flood. You nope. don't believe the earth is flat. You know, there's a lot of, you believe in the genes theory or the germ theory. You believe you know, evolution is really a fact and not a, just a theory. You know, all those things you probably adopted because you've created a new map that maps to reality better
0: and one of the things that i've i've, uh, I've put into place is what matt dillahunty says is um to accept as many true things as possible mm-hmm. and reject as many false things as possible so that i i feel yeah. that's now that is just a recent thing within the last i don't know seven eight years or something that is now something that uh when when uh, uh some fact or some data comes to me i parse it through that filter to determine whether it's true and i accept it or false and then i reject it
1: right and that's 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 the neat thing about it too is that when we hold a map in our mind it's open with an open mind that we might be wrong and we can adjust it as before we were dogma about it and this is the way it is and there's no other way around it and this way is such a better way of living
2: right I just saw, for example, on our chat here, somebody asked, are there any tips about how to make sure the maps are accurate? And let me just say this, our maps, we should, uh, I don't know about you, but I I, I use my, my phone a lot for my GPS. You know, I got pull my GPS out and I go everywhere with it. And about 10 or 15 years ago, you could get lost with a GPS. <laughs> I, <laughs> But I don't I don't get lost near as much, and usually it's operator error, it's my own fault nowadays. It's not the uh, GPS's fault. But here's the deal: Apple and Google and, um, and Garmin, all those companies have got a system for updating their maps in almost real time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now think about this: that map that's in my iPhone right now, it it is constantly updating. Even as we're sitting here talking, there's probably some updates going. But the whole map is not updated, just a small part of it. You know, some road construction over here, a policeman has pulled somebody over there. That's a very temporary change in the map. And we as humans are capable of making vast changes to our maps without changing the basic structure. Mm. But but therein, I wanna I want to move to a new topic here, and I'm gonna build on, the basic structure, and the constant updating of the map. We have to constantly update our maps because our culture is always changing. And if you look around us, I mean, just in the last month, our culture has massively changed. So we have a whole new map about how do you survive, stay healthy, keep our loved ones healthy, deal with our finances. There's a lot of things that have changed in our map. And most of us are probably being fairly successful. And we want to be more successful. That's why we're talking here tonight. So I want to move forward. And if any of you ever took a course in psychology, you probably studied about a man named Pavlov. Pavlov, I'm about to tell you something about Pavlov that almost nobody knows. Pavlov discovered something really, really important after Stalin took over Russia of course, we know about Pavlov and the dogs and salivation and conditioned responses. Uh, So, all that stuff we, we, people teach in psychology 101 and almost even high school these days. But, after Pavlov disappeared behind the Iron Curtain, we didn't hear as much from him and what he was doing, and yet he continued to have one of the world, a world-class laboratory where he was working with dogs. One day there was a flood in his laboratory and the waters rose and rose and rose. And finally somebody discovered what was gonna happen or they were able to get in during the flood and release the doors from the dogs kennels and let the dogs out to rescue the dogs. Mm -hmm. So the, the interesting thing that Pavlov observed was they had very careful notes on the personalities of these dogs you know what there's four basic personality types among dogs and he had noted very carefully all these personality types and what he found was two of the four personality types were traumatized by the flood these dogs all experienced the same traumatic event of about being drowned I mean their noses were literally above the water barely Wow. and so He noticed this. So he decided um, they had trained these dogs to do many different things. You know, they were teaching, they were trying to understand how conditioned response and learning takes place. So he knew already detailed notes with all of his graduate students, you know, all that works. He knew dog A could do uh, trick numbers seven, eight, nine, and dog B could do trick number one, two, three, four, and dog C is far more intelligent than dog D and all this. He knew all this stuff. And he goes back and he says, let's see what's going on with these dogs. And he, he learned that of all the four personalities, almost all of the dogs lost their training. For weeks, these dogs did not remember something that they could do in their sleep. Hmm. And then he found that a couple of the personalities re, reacquainted themselves with their training very easily, but two seemed to have lost it entirely. In other words, their map had been wiped clean oh this is an important thing because later researchers come along and find out that pavlov's research had been taken quietly and without his knowledge to then implement brainwashing techniques in korea with american soldiers and in china it is a it is a phenomenal story that we in the west are not familiar with but what the chinese did what the russians did what the north koreans did would say, well, if it works on dogs, maybe it'll work on humans. And what they learned was you can take certain personality types, put them under enough stress and it will wipe the slate clean and they will totally change. That's why in the previous uh, poll, Eric, that you put up, I asked the question, have you ever known anybody who quickly became a new religion or changed religions? Have you ever known anybody that's changed religions multiple times? and became very, very devout in those various religions. That's probably what was going on. Now, Todd, I want to ask you to give us one of your stories. You had a story or two that fit that pretty well. Tell us a story about the conversion the um, people you've known that have converted radically. And what were the conditions under which they converted? And yourself, by the way. You gave us a story about yourself, too. Yeah.
1: When I was 18, I left my home and my religion, religious upbringing, and I, I left that for about four years. And towards the end of that time, I had some personal crisis that, that came into my life. My dad was killed by a drunk driver. Um, I was in a bad motorcycle accident. Uh, my girlfriend of two years left me for a doctor. But uh, a, a lot of things that was really uh, a personal crisis for me. And I was being told that it was God me back like a father god punishes those that he loves and uh, he was yeah, he was trying to bring me back and i ended up coming back into the christian faith because of that
2: that is like a quintessential story over and over again we hear that when people are under a lot of stress when there's a death in the family when you get a serious illness when you get a diagnosis could be fatal when your mother dies I mean, any of those things brings tremendous stress upon a family or on on an individual. (coughs) Excuse me. That is why ministers love to proselytize in the hospital, proselytize in prisons, proselytize when you're sick, proselytize when there's been a, is there a funeral? I was so pissed off when my dad died and I went back to my home church and three-fourths of the sermon around my dad's funeral and my dad was a wonderful guy with a tremendous amount of story to be told and he didn't tell any of it this minister even knew my dad very well And he spent three quarters of the darn sermon proselytizing and oh by the way when my mother died three years later I went to that same minister and said um, Mr. Minister I won't use his name Oh, by the way, the church just closed last year, which was delightful. (laughs) I said, I'm an atheist, and here's the deal. You're going to get up, and you're going to do a damn good sermon, and it's going to tell my mom's story, and some of the people in the church are going to stand up and tell my mom's story. And if I catch you proselytizing even for one sentence, I will stand up in the front of this whole congregation and stop this service. Wow. yeah his eyes got about that big oh i would never do that (laughs) oh my gosh and he did not do that which was good i that that, i my parents are very religious and they even became missionaries but they weren't assholes and they weren't they weren't they were more concerned about humans than about jesus in many ways and i wanted that story to be to be told, so that's why I did that. That's a side This
1: This is a real pet peeve of mine uh, and kind of personally triggering for me. It just in the past two years, I've had three close friends that passed away. Um, and each of these cases, it the, the, the funerals were turned into to, to an invitation to come to Jesus type thing. This last October, I'll just tell you the one story. This last October, I was on a group ride on my bike and there was about 32 of us in our group and a good friend of mine lost control when we we're coming down a mountain and went over the edge of a drop off and was killed and i was there i was the first one to him tried to but i couldn't save him but the point is at the funeral there was an altar call and they used my friend jim as an example of god saving grace you know they, they told how jim was part of the church's celebrate recovery um, a, and and because of his addiction to porn and how God had delivered him from porn, yeah. and then, and that this same guy can deliver you, and and that was the invitation at his funeral. Um, and it's just, it's so frustrating.
0: That's awful. And um, looking at the poll here, seventy seven percent of the folks who um, took the poll. Have been to a funeral where they've uh, been proselytized to, and mm-hmm. I can say I've, uh, I've been through the same one. I won't I won't share the story, but it, it's it's disgusting to me. It's it's like it's as if there was a salesman up front um, talking to trying to sell us their 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 uh, bullshit. Um, while i'm trying while i'm grieving for the loss of my right right and, oh yeah uh,
1: i, I right. refuse to go to funerals anymore that are christian funerals uh, i will say my goodbyes before um and i i won't go to the funerals
2: well, therein lies why we're talking about this today because it's not just funerals it's not just being a prison it's not just in the hospital it's whenever you're in a crisis and our entire society is now in a crisis this is a absolutely opportune time for religions to infect new people it and they're trying their best and they're gonna try their best the second thing is it's also an opportune time for political ideas as well because a lot of political ideologies look a lot like religion and we've seen a real alliance between political parties and religions in the current time period and in the past I don't care what period of time you're in. Religion is always trying to get into the political system and take it over. And the best example we can have right now is to look at Saudi Arabia. The religion and the politics are one and the same. You couldn't separate Islam from Saudi Arabian politics. It's just impossible. And it's almost as impossible in some place like Pakistan or Bangladesh, where people are getting murdered if, they're, you know, if they don't toe the Muslim line. So I want to move ahead and and talk a little bit about how this actually worked in real life during a time of the 1720s, 1740s. I have my dates a little bit off. A man named John Wesley, you may know him. If you were a former Methodist, you know who John Wesley was. And what you probably don't know, and they do not teach at a Methodist church. I went to a Methodist seminary. They did not teach this to me in that (laughs) seminary. John Wesley was like a master mass hypnotist he could get a thousand people in a tent revival in the 1740s with no no uh amplification he could pretty much hypnotize a thousand people get them rolling in the aisles and convert to jesus that's how the methodist church got started in england and that's what happened when charles and john wesley came to United States, they did the same thing here. And what we know, and you can, you can read it right in a little book, I, I will semi-recommend this book, semi-recommend, <laughs> because it goes over some of the stuff I talk about, but it was written in 1957, so you've got to take in consideration it's old, it's got a lot of medical technology that's way out of date, it's got some attitudes that you and I probably wouldn't agree with, but the concept and the knowledge is, is priceless. And what I wanna read is what happened with John, this man, uh, William Sargent. The name of the book is Battle for the Mind by William Sargent. And what he did was he studied John Wesley's principles of conversion and preaching. And what we see today when we see Pentecostal ministers or Baptist ministers, when you see a Billy Graham type person stand up, they are using the methods, the psychological methods that John Wesley pioneered. Now I say pioneer. I shouldn't use that term in the sense that he invented them. He just kind of put the package together better than anybody else had. (laughs) Because we can go clear back to Paul, we can go clear back to Pentecost, and we can see supposedly 3,000 people rolling in the aisles and converting to Jesus. Sounds to me like what kind of what you see in John Wesley. So in the united states and in other times in history whenever a society shows signs of high stress you oftentimes see revivals you see uh, i mean think of the middle ages when the when the plague came through and how you know how the catholic church used the flagellants to go around and kill all the jews because they were you know they were creating the poisoning the wells and stuff it was a religious reaction to the stress of Millions, literally millions of people dying in 1348. So if you read your history, it's replete with the way epidemics cause religious revivals or come in on the back of, uh, religious revivals come in on the back of epidemics. So here's what uh, Dr. Sargent says, I'm just gonna read one small paragraph. If a complete sudden collapse can be produced By prolonging or intense emotional stress, the brain slate may be wiped clean temporarily of its more recently implanted patterns of behavior, perhaps allowing others to be substituted for them more easily. This sounds exactly what Pavlov found in his dogs. A certain portion of the population, you can literally reprogram them if you put them under enough stress. Do you know anybody in your household or in your family that's under a lot of stress because they watch Fox News over and over and over again? I'm guessing you probably do. And the messages are going straight through the amygdala into the hippocampus and creating a fear map in their brain. That's why it's so hard. It takes a lot of stress to change this map to something else. And what Eric showed us earlier was The stress has had a positive response of people wearing their masks. So we know it's had a positive, a new positive map has been created in those people. But I'm guessing other people who live just as close to Eric are also watching Fox News and getting scared. This is end times or they're watching some religious program every day and it's end times and they're getting scared of hell. And the new messages or the the messages of that religion are being pushed into their into their brains. The best time to reindoctrinate somebody or to reinforce the indoctrination is when they're under stress and they're in, in a lot of confusion. That's what the potential is right now. And that's why we're talking here tonight.
0: So I can kind of see um, what you're talking about. And I can, it's almost like, so a uh, you know, virus it is basically just a, a shell with some instructions inside some rna instructions inside and i can totally see the the a metaphor goes uh, the metaphor from a uh, regular vice a virus to a mental virus goes uh, it follows even further with this um packaged message that um uh is is packaged inside of this mental virus that is injected into the folks who listen to it and take it in during the times of fear yeah,
2: it's, that's, that's right. It's, it's just an instruction set. If you think about Catholicism, or you think yeah. about Pentecostalism, it's an instruction set. And that's why we call it a mind virus. It has many of the same characteristics. Uh, I just saw Jack uh, Cooley, I think, ask a question. I, Jack's a friend of mine. He said, do we expect a, a revival? Hmm. I don't know that we'll see a revival or not. I just know that the religion, we see evidence right now religion's taking as much advantage as it can right now. Here, I live in Kansas. Our governor says no meetings, no church meetings. And what happens? You know, we got a half a dozen churches and we're going anyway, because you can't violate our rights. And you see the guy, uh, governor of Kentucky say, you go to church, we're gonna look at your license plate, and we're gonna make you quarantine. Which, well, they're taking away our rights. You know, it, let's, let's, I would rather spread the God virus and risk spreading the biological virus is basically what they're saying.
1: Yeah, that seems like it's kind of inconsistent because on the one hand, the church doesn't want the government to take away their rights, but on the other hand, they want to control the government and they want to make new laws for everyone to abide by.
2: Yeah, I actually write about this quite extensively in in the God virus because if the the religion can take control of government, it makes it a lot safer for the religion to impose itself on everybody a theocracy if you will whether that's the catholic theocracy in 14th century italy or the muslim theocracy in saudi arabia and pakistan right now it, the competition of ideas is difficult for religions religions don't like to have to compete with other religions and they no. certainly don't like competing with secularism and that's so if you can get rid of the secular people and make the religion the country or the political system friendly to your religion, it's a lot less work. Oh, and by the way, you get money. You may even get the tax money. There should be, that's why separated church and state is so important. Because the, the resources of the government become at the beck and call of their religion. I mean, we just see a bill here this week that's gonna allow the, the money from the government to go into the coffers of ministers and pay the, pay the salaries of ministers your tax dollars are going to pay ministers that's what happens when the church when the religion can capture the political system and we're we're so close to having a political system that is totally captured by the by the religion so i i want want to just frame this out i know we're almost gone an hour here and i want to wind it up but i want you to think back about a couple things remember the conversion of saint paul if you went to church, you read your Bible, you know about St. Paul, it's a famous story in Acts. Well, the, the conversion was of a man who hated Christianity and was persecuting them, even taking them back uh, with handcuffs back to be tried. That was the story in Acts. And Paul converted through some vision or whatever, I don't believe the story for a minute, but here's the deal, the story is so true what what William Sargent, what other researchers have found is if you hate something enough, at some point you might flip under a stressful condition. So St. Paul hates the Christians and he's out persecuting them. And then one day a flash goes on in his brain and suddenly he flips and becomes the greatest Christian ever. We have seen this a lot. You see this. In conversion stories throughout Christianity and Islam is the flip from hating to loving. You can also get the opposite flip. So what William Sargent discovered and other researchers discovered is if we want to stay mentally hygienic, if we want to stay clean and not let mind viruses infect us, we've got to use the scientific method, use good rational methods to maintain a, a sense of objectivity about a new idea. And remain some social distancing, if you will, from ideas that bring dangerous consequences. So if we can finally find a way to, to examine ideas, examine ideologies, then we can keep the mind viruses from getting into us. And I don't care what political persuasion you are. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm, a, I'm a rabid liberal, so I'm not going to hide that. But it doesn't matter whether you're a liberal, you're a Democrat, you're a Libertarian, or Republican, it doesn't matter. All political persuasions have an element of ideology in them. And ideology is is not very nuanced. (laughs) Nazism was an ideology, communism ideology. I mean, we can name lots and lots of ideologies. Catholicism is an ideology, Baptist is an ideology. we just have to be careful we recognize that the world has ideologies. You've gotta have an ideology or you won't have a cohesive group as a political unit, for example. But let's not let our ideologies determine who we are. And let's be careful about what mind viruses we let get into our heads. I have about another hour's worth of stuff I could talk about, but I think you would kick me out if I
0: did. <laughs> I think uh, um, I think maybe we can consider doing a part two in the future uh, of this and continue this conversation because there, this is a topic that will not be going away anytime soon, and it is just um, thick with uh, stuff we can learn. Um, there are a yeah. lot of people in the in the chat kind of asking if um, this God virus, this religious virus that you're talking about, has a um is similar to folks who uh subscribe to conspiracy theories there's a lot of hot ones right now like um yeah, right. uh, bill gates and the vaccine or or the the 5g crap or what have you um how, how are the, the religions and, uh, and, and conspiracy theories kind of connected
2: uh well they're just another ideology if you will and the fact is that they're ideas that spring up you know some Some idiot came up with the idea that vaccines are bad and they preyed upon the fears of parents. So every parent is scared to death. You know They wanna make sure their child is raised healthy and they wanna get the best care. Well, if you start a rumor that vaccines are bad, then parents start reacting to that rumor negatively and not getting the kids vaccinated. That's the way mind viruses spread. They have to spread from one brain to the other, flat earthers. Whoever heard of a flat earther 20 years ago, and now they're all over the place. I mean, it's it's funny to see how many flat earthers there are now. Now, maybe they were there before, but they're coming out of the woodwork now. Uh, and, you uh, know, anti-vaxxers and on all the conspiracy stuff. You, the, the conspiracy theorists are always with us. They're always around. But with the internet, they have a megaphone. And if they can get a group to agree to them, and help them propagate it then that mind virus moves through minds it, it moves and then these days mind viruses are going through computers to other minds it used to be i had to go to your house to talk to you about an idea or i had to write you a long letter about an idea well now i just get on here and talk about my crazy idea on the internet and it, it spreads much faster
1: there's a there's another question here I want to ask. Um, is there a tip in determining if a new idea is a result from fear or facts? How, how can we determine?
2: Well, I think one of the best tools we've got as secularists and, and I love Anthony Magnabosco's work is street epistemology. I think that the questions that street epistemology forces us to ask, while not perfect, will help you get to a more rational conclusion. The most fundamental philosophical approach in all of history is the Socratic method. So if you are being subjected to new ideas, I would always try to use some street epistemology methodology or techniques in in examining those ideas now the thing is and this is this is probably one of the more important things i'm going to say tonight human beings we are as a group incredibly good at fooling ourselves Mm -hmm. we are so damn good at fooling ourselves that we really can't trust our minds and i i include my own i have made some dumb mistakes in my life and i thought they were perfectly rational decisions at the time and now i look back and say how can i be that dumb and every person i'm speaking to tonight has had one or more of those events in your life mm. and you look back what was going on in your life at that time it might have been you're under a lot of stress
0: yeah i might have been the- pictures to prove it
2: Yeah. <laughs> 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 now, or, or you might you might have not had the tools. I mean, you are, let's say you're an 18 year old and you decide to commit your life to Jesus. What the hell does an 18 year old know about the real world? Do they have a very good map in their head? Do they have the rational tools to make decisions like that? No, probably not. So I think as you get older, I, a friend of mine just said something the other day, I thought it was brilliant. He says, I'm the smartest today as I've ever been. I was not as smart as I am today as I was five years ago, and I certainly am smarter than I was 20 years ago, and I hope that's the way we look at it. We are constantly updating our maps, and our maps allow us to exercise our intelligence, and I would hope that if you're a flat earther, for example, or if you're an anti-vaxxer, you would have used some tools to examine that stance and and tried to find out what is the map that most uh, Focuses on what's reality. What's the biological reality of viruses? What's the cosmo cosmological reality of orbits around planets uh, around uh, uh, large large objects like the sun that has a gravity around it. I mean, these are these are things you can ask yourself, and none of us are going to be perfect in our answers. Right. But these tools are far better than. Uh, than listening to a news show. I'm I'm skeptical every time I listen to any news, but I'm not so skeptical that I let my brains fall out. Now
0: you're talking, <laughs> a, lot, you're talking you. a lot about some uh, um, things to, to practice. And, and it seems like you're coming from the uh, standpoint of like critical thinking um, and thinking rationally. But um, a lot of folks are asking, um, how can we, Um, deal with the fear that we experience Uh, there. So, you know, rationality and fear on are are almost like not connected in some sense. And what would be a good way to kind of uh, get over the fear? um, And then come back to rationality or encourage this rationality and critical thinking?
2: Well, first of all, I would suggest people go back, we recorded last week's sec segment and go back and listen to that because we actually talked about some of that last week also look at the video that i did about a month ago before this whole thing got super underway i i i thought let's sit down and do a video and we did that uh with the help of one of our great volunteers put some graphics into it but either watch those two videos because in those videos i talk about here's what you can do and i'll give you the short version first of all You can just stop and take three deep breaths. Just take a deep breath because you, if you, if you keep breathing shallowly and keep thinking all the horrible thoughts that are happening, you're going to keep getting more, you're going to spiral down and down and down It's a negative feedback loop. Second thing is you can might learn some meditation techniques, Mm -hmm. get on download Sam Harris's uh, great application on mindfulness are waking up, you can learn mindfulness techniques. And we've got some therapists right here watching this tonight that are well-trained in these areas. So there's and in the future, uh, Todd, Eric and everybody else, we're gonna be doing some shows right like this in the future weeks where we're gonna be talking about those very things. We think that recovering from religion can supply really high quality mental health programming through this format to people literally all over the world. We got people watching from Australia tonight and, and England. So we know that we can reach a wide range of people and we have therapists in Australia and England. We have people that can provide this content. So that's what we're uh, we're planning on doing in the near future is giving answers to that very question.
1: You know what Daryl, that take a three deep breath seems super simple, um, but it works the other night. To give a testimony, <laughs> I was my mind was going a hundred miles an hour. I had some interviews to do with uh, with some new agents, and I, and and just my mind wouldn't stop. And I went, take three deep breaths, concentrate on my big toe, <laughs> 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 and and uh those thoughts I didn't those thoughts went away, and I. Concentrated on my breathing, and I fell, fell asleep. And I was like, I was gonna get up the next morning and tell you about it, but I forgot. So
2: <laughs> it works. It's so. such a simple technique, and it really does. It's not a perfect thing, but it works so many times. Three deep breath, and I, I, it's a joke kind of, but I always, I always use it that way. Focus on your left big toe. <laughs> Three deep breaths. Focus on your left big toe. It's hard to focus on anything else when you when you start doing that.
0: Yeah. You know, and good, I, I took your advice too last uh, over the last week, and I went out and saw the sun every day when it was out. Uh, went and found a basketball court and was just shooting some hoops by myself. In fact, I was. Uh, I started to feel so good um, yesterday here in Denver, Colorado. It was snowing outside. But it wasn't sticking to the asphalt, and so I'm like, I think the basketball court might be clear. And I went out in the snow <laughs> and shooting hoops, and it felt really good. And that uh, the anxiety I was experiencing just sort of melted away temporarily. And I was, uh, it was, it was a good, uh, good relief and relaxation technique. Guys, this has been. This has been
1: great, but we're over our, our, our um, limit here. And I want to end with one more question, if we could, and then we'll get, we'll open up to some, uh, to over to Gail. Gail has an announcement that they can do a little talk. Um, what resources would you recommend besides the God virus? <laughs> would you recommend in, in, uh, trying to, uh, um help us with this type of uh remapping our minds Uh,
2: i think like i mentioned sam harris's application on mindfulness but there's a lot of different websites nowadays and there's mental health websites that you can learn these skills cognitive behavior if you and also cognitive behavioral therapy can help you a lot in trying to understand how to deal with anxiety and as we defined anxiety last week free free floating fear not based in reality that's my simple definition for it go back and listen to it but i think there's anxiety reduction techniques and you all these things are let me just say this you guys living today are so fucking lucky because i didn't have any of those 30 years ago when i was learning how to be a therapist or 40 years ago I couldn't get on the internet and learn a mindfulness exercise, and yet we can do that today. Now you can go to a therapist and they will teach you these things because any therapist worth their salt knows mindfulness, knows cognitive behavioral therapy, probably knows some other things like dialectical behavioral therapy. I mean, there's a lot of things they should know, but bottom line, there's, there's probably not a good therapist on the planet that doesn't know cognitive behavioral therapy. Cause it's kind of like the baseline, the foundation for a lot of other things. And you can learn those, you can get online and use a website for it, or you can get one of the sector therapy project therapists to help you, or you can come back here because we're gonna be putting some of that programming on in the next month or two,
0: so. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, Dr. Ray, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us today and talking about this. it cleared up some things for me and i can understand other people a little bit better and um i know that uh the person that i can change the most is myself and so i'll be using some of those uh those uh, suggestions that you gave and um to hopefully inoculate myself against this this virus (laughs) recovering from religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope Healing and Support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering from Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering From Religion website. It's also a big help subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.